Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 97 of Sports Speak. Hope you're doing well. I'm Eddie Kalegi. And I'm Tim Moore. I got to start bringing some Rutgers people on the show, and I got my first one today, Brett Hahn, a colleague of mine at WRSU Sports, joining us to talk some baseball and some NBA postseason action. A fellow Mets fan, we've got a lot to break down there. Uh, Brett, thanks for coming on. Gentlemen, I am honored to be here. I've seen your content, and you guys do a hell of a job, so I'm excited to be a part of it. Well, I appreciate it. And you know who's done a hell of a job so far this season are the New York Mets. But now they're going to be without already Jacob deGrom, Tyler McGill. And then Max Scherzer last night pulled himself from the game in the middle of an at-bat in the sixth inning. And now it's turned out to be a moderate to high-grade oblique strain, which typically would keep a pitcher out for six to eight weeks. But knowing the Mets, every injury usually gets prolonged by an extra four to six weeks because it's the Mets. So now the Mets are going to be without Max Scherzer on top of Jacob deGrom and Tyler McGill. And suddenly that rotation, just like it seems like every year, is very short and doesn't really have much to it beyond the first couple of pitchers. So the Mets are in a good position. Uh, as we're recording this, Edwin Diaz did just blow a save, and uh, it's the 10th inning now against the Cardinals. But they did at least split that series, and they're at least 10 games over 500, potentially 11 after today. Uh, so, Brett, how do you feel about the Mets moving forwards right now without Scherzer in an NL East that they have control of, but obviously they're going to be without Scherzer, who's pitched really well for them? I mean, I, I like the depth that the Mets have in the rotation. Uh, just the problem is consistency. Taiwan Walker is a ground ball pitcher. You know, he's somebody that's very reliant on the infielders to make plays in the short term, the outfielders to get to their spots. And he, he doesn't strike a lot of guys out. Now, last game was a little bit of an anomaly. He had great velocity and zip on his fastball. I think he threw a high of 96. You don't see that very often. It often sits around 93, 94. And, and his off-speed pitches, you know, they're all right. It, it's nothing major. And then, you know, you're kind of looking at guys like Trevor Williams, who's more of a long reliever. I don't trust him as a number five starter. Carlos Carrasco, who's been really good, but the two starts that he's not been on top of his game have been absolutely brutal. Then you got, you know, Chris Bassett's been awesome. Every time I watch a Mets game, I always see a commercial of him saying, you know, I'm going to come at you. That's been my mentality. And it's making me want to buy a Chris Bassett jersey. But, um, you know, kind of looking at this rotation, it's hard to tell. Um, the offense has to keep hitting, you know, Lindor's got to show why he got paid 320 million. He's batting 230. It's just, it hasn't been there in consistent spurts. So I don't know. I'm going to, I like to be optimistic, but the Mets have made me depressed over the course of my life. So I'm scared to commit to anything to be honest with you. I'm a Mets fan. Obviously I've said it on WRSU. I've said it on this show. I'm reserved. I'm hesitant to really get pumped up about this season. Even it seemed like the culture is a little bit different because we know injuries happen and we know the Mets are the Mets and things always seem to spiral out of control at times. And it's usually at this point in the year, late May, early June, where things get out of control. And now Max Scherzer, Tyler McGill, both going on the injured list in the past five days is really not ideal. But, you know, Tim, you've been, as a Yankee fan, you you know, you've still been hyping up the Mets on this show and you you seem to still have some confidence. Where does this Scherzer injury, injury how does it impact your view on where the team can go going forwards? Well, first off, and I think I did mention this to you last week when I was going to the Mets game to go watch Max Scherzer pitch, and I thought the James McCann injury was the beginning of the spiral, unfortunately, for the injury woes for the New York Mets. Remember the last time you were on Sports Speak, we asked that question together. 
when for both the Yankees and the Mets in particular, are we going to start seeing the injuries? Because it's going to happen. And right now, of course, you, you lose your ace of Max Scherzer. But I, I do want to point this out, at least in the aspect of Max. I know that's a six to eight week injury, but we can't ignore the fact that Max Scherzer is also a competitor. He's someone that wants to get on the mound and, and wants to be competitive. I'm not saying that he would cut that span in half by any means and, and risk himself from injury. But if Max feels ready, even if it's before six weeks, I'm sure you'll see him on the mound again. But we'll see what happens. Of course, the Mets got to take one at a time, protect their uh, what is currently the race. Of course, there's no Jacob DeGrom back. But for the Mets, the big thing is getting through this little, you know, this little hump now. Because obviously, yes, you already lost James McCann, who, yes, hasn't produced the offensive numbers, but at least on the defensive side, has been solid for the Mets. Obviously, Tomas Nito's had to step up and so on. But, yeah, I mean, think about it. When this staff is healthy, I mean, you know, you've had Miguel that 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 has looked great throughout the year uh, before he got hurt. You know, Scherzer, again, even though that last week when I was watching against Seattle, yeah, they lost the game. He got a no decision, whatever. Or, excuse me, actually got the loss. But the big thing about Max Scherzer that's so big that goes very underrated, he's an innings eater pitcher. He, he can go for long distances and really give you a break uh, through your bullpen, which is something that's just so huge, especially with these style of pitchers. And, you know, when Jacob DeGrom does come back for the Mets, we know he's probably going to be on an innings limit, you know, a pitch limit to try to get back into the rhythm, just like most pitchers are. And I, I'll tell you, when these guys are healthy, again, this team's going to be good. It's a matter of, and I feel like we talk about this in New York sports, for example, the Brooklyn Nets, you know, if everyone's there, it's always the if game and it's always the if game with the Mets. You, you just got to hope things are going right. I'm still optimistic. I do agree, by the way, about the, the argument about Lindor. You got to prove yourself a little bit more back in the 230. But uh, on the opposite side, you know, I'm real impressed. Jeff McNeil continues to hit pretty well. You know, Pete Alonso continues to show the power. And again, you don't need Pete Alonso to hit in year 300 to, to, to be productive. Just like, for example, I'll say about Giancarlo Stanton, 216 hitting four. 40 home runs a year is okay for me if he's a you know a 3100 guy. That's all you need from Pete Alonso. You need your guys to get on base that 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 play those roles, such as Jeff McNeil. So to see him have a comeback year is huge. I, I think for the Mets, he, again, you brought in this depth. Marte's played very solid as well. Uh, overall, the the one player I think that really though needs to step up, in my opinion, uh, and that's not Lindor's JD Davis. JD Davis to me has been a little bit underwhelming uh, compared to what he. He's been over the last two seasons, uh, especially as well. I mean, you, you think about the role, for example, even what Dom Smith used to play for the Mets. You thought there was a little bit more whole uh, hope in the depth positions for the Mets this year. Hasn't exactly worked that way yet, but there's still a long season to go. And I, I do want to point this out as my last point as well for the Mets. Yeah, you know, you're the Mets blow a save. Edwin Diaz blows a save, so be it. But when it's all said and done, what still convinces me about the New York Mets right now, they're beating competitive baseball teams week in, week out. It's not like they're playing an easy schedule to open up this year. That's the reason why, for example, I say about the New York Yankees on that side of why I'm still not confident the Yankees winning World Series. Yeah, they have a great record. Yeah, they're dominating the AL East. But what does that show when you're playing Baltimore every other week or a below 500 team every other series? 
the Yankees have played some good teams. Don't get me wrong. For example, they, they, they've played Toronto a bunch of series early on to open up the year, but it's not until June where the Yankees are going to play four or five series in a row against above 500 teams that are in that playoff race. The Mets, they're playing a lot of teams early on that are competing for playoff spots and competing for tops of divisions, and they're winning series, which is huge. You can't win every series. You know, the Mets were on a great streak of that, you know, going into last week. You're not going to win them all. But the fact that you're still winning majority and you're still, you know, battling through adversity is huge. So I'm excited to see how it is moving forward. I'm so positive on the Mets side of chasing a World Series this year. Yeah, that's fair. And I kind of want to let Brett jump in on this in terms of the Yankees, because uh, they just lost today, which is only their 10th loss of the season. They've got the best record in baseball. And yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, sorry Tim, <laughs> but, but I'm happy guy. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm a, I am a Yankees fan. I, I, I'm a Yankee. it's, just, it's the it's the optimism of, for example, you say about the Mets, right? It's like, oh, well, we've seen bad season after bad season. It's hard to have hope. On the Yankees side, complacency killed them the last two seasons. And really, now what's starting to show is the weak point. I argued it. At the start of the season, while the pitching has been well, unfortunately, Jonathan Wyzicka has not looked good this year. Uh, Raldis Chapman's been shaky late, but listen, Chappie goes through up and down stretches. Uh, and Luecki, who is supposed to be a key role pitcher out of the bullpen this season uh, as a primary lefty since we don't have Zach Britton back yet, he as well uh, just obviously allowed that three-run home run that lost the game about 15 minutes ago as well uh, against Baltimore, which again, you can't sweep Baltimore every time. I know they're a struggling baseball team. But you're starting to see a couple guys in the pen haven't exactly stepped up to the roles that you need them to. I would think the Yankees, the number one move, hoping no fielding injuries and so on, but would probably just try to get another additional bullpen piece because I still very much am surprised. The rotation has been pitching very well. And listen, I knew Nestor Cortez was always a good pitcher. I said it here before the season on Sportspeak of how consistent he is. It was just a matter of going to be could everyone be healthy and be that? Uh, Jameson Tayon's impressed me. And really, surprisingly, which I didn't think was going to be the weak point this year in a rotation, but Jordan Montgomery has now been the weak point as compared to what Garrett Cole was at the start of the season. So the Yankees rotation continuing to pitch well. And the offense playing well. Stanton judged her mashing. Uh, Anthony Rizzo, by the way, today got ejected for the third time in his career, so that's rare. But when you have those three hitting home runs and producing, it's good for the Yankees uh, to, to get runs. It's just a matter of can they keep this through the summer? I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens when I start playing good teams. Yeah, that's true. And obviously Aaron Judge so far is having a career year. But, Brett, the AL is stacked. And as Tim mentioned, the Yankees have had – a comparatively easier schedule through the first two months to say the Mets or the Astros or some other teams out there. Uh, do you think the Yankees are going to be able to keep this up? What we've seen so far from them. I mean, I really like where they're getting their offense from. Um, you know, Aaron judge has been like the number one outfielder so far. He, he's been incredible. Uh, John Carlos Stanton, I feel like he's starting to find his footing a little bit too. Josh Donaldson's on a little bit of a hot streak. Uh, Oh no! Not, now I, I always get mixed up who they traded away and who they didn't. They, they still have Torres, right? Yeah, they traded yes. away Gio Urshela. Okay, all right. Th th that one always gets me confused because I knew they traded Gary Sanchez and one of the guys with the yep. name that started the letter G. <laughs> I keep forgetting which one it is. But point being, you know, Gio had a clutch. I think he had a clutch hit for you guys like the other day, if I remember correctly. And and you know, you know the the pitching rotation's been really good. And you took Miguel Castro. 
You guys knew how bad Joely Rodriguez was, and you gave him to us. It's messed up. I want Miguel Castro back. I I, I miss him. He's got like a one point something ERA so far. But the he, thing is, uh, actually, he have an ERA of like five if he was with the Mets. Actually, he blew the game yesterday for us. So he at now is above a two ERA after allowing a couple. Oh. Of- Still, when you're looking at the Mets bullpen, you're like, oh, wow, we're going to go Seth Lugo. Let's look at Seth Lugo's stat line. It's like 8.6. And and we're thinking, oh, wow, this is 2016 again. This is great. No, nah, man, like Lugo hasn't been anything since then. And it's the same kind of thing. Like, we, we, we got Adam Adovino from you guys. The dude is either hit or miss. I, I'm, I'm genuinely scared every time he comes in the game. Joely Rodriguez, I can't stand already. I want him to get cut. But the Mets don't have any options, um, you know. But going back to the Yankees, you know, I could rant about the Mets all day. But, like, going back to the Yankees, um, I like the way they're playing. I agree with you that the, the schedule's been easy. They played Detroit and Baltimore and teams like that a lot so far. And they have a ways to prove in that regard. But they're definitely improved. The pitching pitching has been the best it's been in the last few years. That's always been, like, a crux, I feel like, starting rotation for them. The bullpen's always been solid. But, like, having consistent one through four starters is something the Yankees hadn't had in – multiple years so I, I i you know all bias aside i respect them they're doing really well i think they'll keep it up and make the playoffs i would love to see a subway series yeah it, I would love to see a subway series. Yeah. it would be big it would be big for the major leagues and also you know the dodgers angels playing well too the big city teams really representing the sport well so far but i just want to finish with one thing at least for me because I have, you know, I, you guys both know I have a weird selection of teams that I like. I'm a Mets fan, I'm an Eagles fan, I'm a Nets fan. And I'm starting to realize that that combination is like the most lethal combination of just teams that have stupid injuries, stupid players missing games for stupid reasons. Of course, we know the history of the Mets with injuries. We know everything that's happened with the Nets for the last two years. And then the Eagles, all, every time Carson Wentz would get hurt at the end of the season before the playoffs, and still the Eagles can never have a healthy offensive line. They can never have a healthy secondary. And it's just a common denominator with all three teams that I have the biggest fandom for, where we're wondering what if everybody was healthy? What if everybody was out there? The team might be good then. But, you know, we've seen it obviously with the Nets the last two seasons when Scary Hours has paid off in one playoff series win over the last two years. And, you know, we've seen with the Mets over and over again, where the rotation looks great and then suddenly it's thin because everybody gets hurt. And then the Eagles, Carson Wentz, every time he'd have a good season, would get hurt either right before the playoffs or in a playoff game. So that, that that's basically where I'm at with my team fandom, and that's what gets so frustrating. But uh, let's shift gears to the NBA. Um, I want to talk about, before we get to the conference final series, you know, Two huge teams were taken out in game sevens. The Bucks and the Suns, the teams that faced off last year in the NBA Finals, both eliminated in game sevens. The Bucks by Boston, the Suns in a route by Dallas. Um, so I'll go to Brett first. Which of these teams, I mean, given the series and given how things were going, which was more of an expected loss, the Suns or the Bucks? Uh, it's hard. I, I, I mean, I, I definitely didn't expect the Suns to lose. I love Chris Paul. I'm so sad for him. He's like, if if James Harden could have just, you know, morphed his personality a little bit, he would have had a ring already with Houston. And I would have seen one of my team win a title. Like, it it would have been great. But uh, out of all the teams, I definitely expected the Bucs to lose the least. I didn't think the Celtics were going to have an answer for Giannis. 
Um, I was telling I was telling my friend who's a huge Celtics fan, I, I, like if they could limit Giannis's supporting cast, that they would have a great chance of winning it. And you know they were able to do that. They were forcing turnovers in Game Seven. They were limiting the limiting uh, the other guys from making contributions. Giannis still got his numbers. I mean, he he did all series, but you know. I feel like the Bucks losing was more shocking to me, considering all of Boston's big men minus Al Horford are six nine or, or shorter. So, I thought for sure Giannis was going to have a field day in the paint. But you know, the Suns losing for me is just heartbreaking. I mean, don't get me wrong, I like Luca, but I love Chris Paul, man. I wish he got a ring, and and I I, I didn't want to believe everybody who said last year was his best opportunity too, but. He's not going to have a good opportunity after this year, especially if DeAndre Ayton's reported rift is true. He's not going to resign. So. You can't even blame Scott Foster as the excuse this time. It's just the Suns straight up played bad. You can't even blame the officiating. Uh, Tim, how about you? Which one was maybe more of a surprise or more expected with the Suns and Bucks both losing? I mean, with just how bad game seven was for the Suns, I, to me, that was the biggest surprise, without a doubt. I mean, this is a team, Eddie, that going into this year, I thought was going to come back to the NBA Finals or at least be in the Western Conference Finals against the Golden State Warriors, which was my uh, preseason projection, if I'm not mistaken. And here's the thing again. The reason why the Bucks I'll go on the opposite end, least surprised me. It's so hard in the NBA to win back-to-back championships it's very very hard the golden state warriors may have made it look very very easy going to the finals year after year after year with that dream team but when it's all said and done I always preach, and I talk about it every show, complacency. I felt the Bucks going into the season were way too complacent and satisfied with the fact they won a championship. And while, yes, they got stronger as the year go, uh, went on, they made some changes, it just wasn't going to be enough. And the fact of the matter is, is that in, in a seven-game series, you know, yeah, you can have the size, you may have the physicality, but you've got to play big in big moments. And this season, it felt like the Bucs, at times in big moments uh, as a team, was not fully sound in there. And ultimately, it came back to cost them game seven, which is why it's not as much of a surprising to me. But going back to the Suns point, I mean, it's just, it's devastating. I agree. I mean, I want to see Chris Paul win a championship. He's worked so hard on every single team he's been for. And the fact of the matter is, is you can't play as bad of a game seven than what the Suns did right there. I mean, it was just a bad game offensively all around. You couldn't control anything that 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 was going on on the court and it was lost from tip basically that's just what it was and it stinks because the suns definitely again was not just a favorite to go back to the nba championship this year but or in the nba finals but when it's all said and done i mean how do you how do how do i put it how do you answer back from regression good teams continue to progress of course once you win a championship there's regression but good teams always try to find a way to develop and improve one season at a time get to the next level it it 
didn't work that way for the Suns. Of course, it's hard to get to the finals, but here you are the following season and you didn't even get to the Western Conference finals. So they'll go back to the drawing board. Hey, listen, if Aiton doesn't come back or gets traded or whatever, that's, that, that's fine. Don't get me wrong. But there's other options for the Suns to try to improve to get better. I'm not saying that Chris Paul's best chance was two years ago because right now to this moment is – but if the Suns could still bring, you know, bring in a big player or, or someone huge for that team that, that can fill the role of Aiton, this team could go back and win a championship. It's just a matter of something needs to change because what happened in Game 7 can never happen for this franchise again if they want to win a championship. And, you know, everybody talks about Mickey Mouse championships and finals runs and all that. But, you know, and everybody talks about the bubble. But it really makes people wonder about last year when there were so many injuries, so many players who had kind of gotten ramped up because the NBA season kind of got rushed to getting started just two months after the Lakers won the bubble championship in October, the following December Christmas, it was already getting started again at the kind of off season went by so quickly uh, compared to other years. We saw so many injuries and I don't know necessarily with the Bucs because they did ultimately win the championship. And we knew going into this, the Eastern conference was going to be stacked and there was going to be a lot of different ways it could shake out. And Boston and Miami are both very talented teams and had better records than Milwaukee in the regular season. But when you're the Phoenix Suns and when 64 games in the regular season are the defending Western conference champs are going against a lot of teams who let's be honest, are inexperienced. And then the only team with a lot of experience that had a chance was the Warriors and you didn't even get to face them in the postseason because you were eliminated before that really makes you wonder just how good this Phoenix team really was last year, or if they kind of got the luck of the draw with the circumstances with Golden State having a down year, the Lakers being the Lakers, Denver getting taken out and just being able to cruise against the Clippers who were without Kawhi Leonard and had their best player of Paul George in the Western Conference Finals. But uh, someone who is definitely not a fan of the Phoenix Suns, and I want to get Brett's opinion on this, Patrick Beverly, who's been all over ESPN this week and particularly oh basically <laughs> has spent the last three days bashing Chris Paul on basically every ESPN program, most notably calling Chris Paul a traffic cone defensively because he doesn't move and you can just go right around him. So uh, obviously Pat Bev is a former Rocket too, as is Chris Paul. So since we have the uh, Rockets fan here, Brett, uh, what's your opinions on Pat Bev's antics this week? I mean, look, Pat Bev on the Rockets and Pat Bev now is a completely different human being. So, you know, it's very, very hard to compare the two. Like, Pat Bev, I feel like, was a lot more low-key on Houston. You know, he was just trying to get his footing. He was a young player, so he was trying to prove his worth. And he was a good defensive st- – I mean, he, he's always played the same. Just he wasn't as boisterous. Now now he's tripping. Now now I think he, he took some good street stuff and he just goes to social media right after and he starts talking because I don't know what spews out of his mouth. I don't know what convinces him that trashing an NBA legend is going to get you some cred because it's definitely not going to. And this is the same dude who when, when the war – not the Warriors, excuse me, when the Timberwolves won the playing game, started crying. Like, bro, you still got the whole playoffs. What are you talking about? And then, and then, and then sure enough, he gets into the playoffs. They play the Grizzlies, and they blow, they, they blow fourth quarter leads in two of the games. Would have changed the entire series. So Pat Bev's an idiot, and I, uh, I liked him on Houston because he wasn't what he is today. But I just don't like him now. So 
Well, you know that I was Pat Bev in the WRC Targum game. Remember, I was the enforcer in that game. I does had Pat to... Bev go 0 for 7? Yes, he does. 0 for 7. One big block. That's all, <laughs> that's all he had in that game. You know what? Defense wins championships, Tim. It may not have won that game, but defense wins championships. Hey, shout out to Dave Palumbo for uh, shouting me out on crew because I was – I've been going back and listening to that a few times, talking about him like, oh, coach, player coach Brett Hahn said in the lineups. So I'm like, yeah, shit, yeah, I did that. We're yeah. 1-0. <laughs> and we're well, going to be 2-0 and this upcoming year. So it's Last all good. time we did this show, Tim, didn't you say I was going to have 16 points in this game? Yeah, well, you were basing it on one shot. The game changed first off because you told me it was twos and threes. It was one and twos. Yeah. Okay. But second <laughs> off, on top of it, after seeing a couple videos of you shooting your high-floating jumpers, I expected a little bit more, you know, from, from someone playing the power forward position, even though he was out-heighted by about two, three inches. But when your highlight of the game is a block and they're saying you're celebrating like you won the dang on World Series, I mean, I wish I could have seen what what happened, that, that what you're doing running up and down the court because right, I, was, you know what? it was energetic. I'll describe the, the sequence. So uh, our good friend Christian Vasquez had the ball probably about 10 feet from the basket uh, along the baseline, left corner, put up the shot. I came running in out of nowhere, swatted it out of bounds. Then I started flexing my muscles, yelling Cliff Amore because he's the center for Rutgers. Geo Baker, by the way, from Rutgers basketball was at the game. Then I started yelling at Geo Baker. You see that Geo? You see that Geo? All while that's happening, everybody else is just ready to keep going. And then they just start inbounding and playing again. And I'm like, oh shoot, I got to get back in position. And that then that's what probably what prompted uh, the comments on the broadcast broadcast about a bit of an excessive celebration for me but guess what that was a statement block that was a Dikembe Mutombo type block and that was the highlight of my game now who was the who was the person I'm forgetting that had no basketball experience and they were just roasting him throughout the broadcast of saying he has no clue what he's doing oh, and probably they Alex Carminati. <laughs> <laughs> but he had more points than me he made somehow made a shot shot one over the backboard too Eddie like like how do you let that happen I know <laughs> But guess what? I was a freshman. I said this to Palumbo the other day, too. I was a freshman. You can't expect a young player, the youngest player on the floor, to show out. I have three more years, three more attempts in this game to write these wrongs and play better. So next year, I'm going to be coming at it. But speaking of people who are going at it, the Warriors and the Mavs in the Western Conference Finals. And uh, Dallas, of course, at the route of Phoenix, but then got handled last night by Golden State pretty handily, a 25-point loss. Uh, Brett, I'll go to you first. How do you feel about Luka going forwards down 1-0? Do you think the Mavs can come back, or are the Warriors destined for a Western Conference title and a return to the finals? I don't know. It's tough to tell. I, I mean, Luka did only have two second-half points. I mean, that's a problem. Uh, definitely going to have to hone in on that next game. Uh, but I don't know, because the Warriors are on a whole different level right now. Like, I, I was, you know – I was a little bit of a critic of Clay during the season. I would always say that it's my, this like microphone Clay, which is like what his haircut. I, I, I think he looks like a microphone. Um, you know, this version of him is like the, the worst one I've seen. But in the playoffs, he's been dropping consistent 30s. He's been draining his threes. He's starting to look vintage again. So I uh, like uh, like my statements about the Miami Heat. I might have to take a step back and like recognize uh, that he's 
he's here. Playoff plays back. And if this Warriors team can stay healthy, sky's the limit for him. I mean, look, look who their main contributor was in the first half yesterday. It was Andrew Wiggins. It wasn't Steph Curry. It wasn't Clay. It I mean, Andrew Drake. Wiggins is an all-star starter. I mean, I mean, yeah, but, like, what other small forward was there out of the West? Um, but, you know, I digress. But the point being that the uh, the Warriors are just, you know, they're so talented. Every player in there buys into their role. It buys into the system. The ball movement is the most exceptional uh, thing I've ever seen. I, I, I always told myself if I coached a kid's team one day and, like, all of them understood uh, and, like, watched NBA basketball, I would run a Steve Kerr offense because it's just a, such a beautiful thing to watch. Like, every guy moving off the ball, every – uh, all the off-ball screens that they use to free up shooters. I, I, it's beautiful basketball. It's like it, it's like Mike D'Antoni's seven-second on steroids. So I, I, I think the Warriors have, you know, so much potential and so much talent. And uh, I think they'll win the series, but I think it'll be more competitive than what game one indicated. I just don't know how many, how many games the Mavs can sneak in there is the thing. Now, the other interesting thing to consider, too, is that the Heat and the Warriors had much easier paths through their second-round playoff series. The Celtics and the Mavs both had to play game sevens, and similar tale for both teams. They kept pace in the first half, but then had poor third quarters, and that's when the Warriors ran away from Dallas. And Tim will finish, you know, the Celtics uh, coming off of two tremendous series, sweeping the Nets, then taking down the defending champs, you know, based upon their defense. But that defense allowed a 39-point explosion in the third quarter uh, by Miami. Now, I know they were without Marcus Smart. They've also been with – they were also without Al Horford, and now they're going to be without Derek White as well for game two. But Horford is expected to be back tonight. Uh, so – Marcus Smart is probable, so we'll see if he's out there. If that's the case, Miami up 1-0, game is in South Beach. Do you think the Celtics can even up the series? I think they can even up the series. Again, I know they had a tough game one, but it, this is honestly, Eddie, the first year in a very, very long time in the NBA where we could talk about a team that plays very, very strong defensively, having a factor not just throughout the season, but especially throughout the playoffs, playing good basketball and limiting good offensive teams. The Celtics have done exactly that throughout the season. And obviously, yes, a lot of it, a lot of it's been driven through those forwards. But when it's all said and done, I mean, the, the, the big thing for Boston is, is now that you've gone through your early woes here uh, of the series of losing a couple players, can you get everyone back in rhythm while still on the road? That's the most difficult part. I mean, I can't, we can't undermine this, okay? Miami, we talked about it before the season as well, but before everything began. This team, you know, is, is beyond superior of the bubble heat that are the, the the bubble Miami heat that we saw they've improved themselves they've made additions they've tried everything they can and somehow by the way this team's in an eastern conference championship despite Jimmy Butler trying to fight people which we talked about that a few weeks ago as well you know um uh, on the bench so needless to say this team despite all of that has gone through adversity and is there and they're going to continue to battle you know but if Boston's defense can do what it's done all season long and prevail with everyone coming back on the road, I think it's easy to say they, they can even it up. But Eddie, honestly, I'm so confused on what year we're in anymore. 
Because, yeah, while it's 2022, of course, you've got the Warriors who through the whole 2010 era was in every single uh, every single NBA Finals that felt like through that dream era. You have, of course, the Boston Celtics. You think about the Kevin Garnett era with Paul Pierce and everything else. And, I mean, remember, Mavericks won a championship, you know, uh, towards the late, uh, late end of Dirk Nowitzki's career. And as well as the Miami Heat, you know, with everything with LeBron James and a big three and so on. So, yeah, four iconic teams that have mean a lot for basketball's history. And that's really the bigger thing going into uh, whoever makes the NBA Finals. No matter who makes it, it's going to be a good series. And the fact that it's not the favorites to win it uh, that, that are going to be going into the NBA Finals from the start of the playoffs, I think is what's going to make it even more entertaining because a lot of these franchises are trying to go through a drought now of not winning a championship in a little bit of time. Well, maybe except the Golden State Warriors. Of course, they have the, the most recent success. But the point is, uh, th- these teams are going to try to cut that little drought and try to get back in the history books. Well, the common denominator for all four of those teams are good coaching, but even more, a great front office. The reason why those four franchises especially are so storied is because we've seen different iterations with different groups of players, and they've consistently found success. And that's because they've been building from the ground up. The Celtics built that entire group from the draft, basically, aside from Al Horford. Those are all players from there. Of course, Steph Clay and Draymond have spent their entire careers in Golden State. Luka Doncic has fittingly replaced Dirk Nowinski as the new uh, Eastern European hero of the Dallas Mavericks. And think about how many different rosters the Heat have gone on deep finals runs with. Young D. Wade back in the mid-2000s. Then you had in the 2010s, of course, the big three with LeBron and Bosh. And then more recently, Jimmy Butler in the bubble. And now Butler and Adebayo with even more help this time with some other young talent surrounding them, plus Kyle Lowry, Victor Oladipo. These are teams that are run well. They have great front offices. They've made great coaching hirings, and that's why they continue to have success. So all four of these franchises definitely deserving of another championship. They play great basketball all year, and it's going to be fun to see how this all shakes out. Uh, but that's going to just about wrap things up. Uh, Brett, I saw you pumping the fist. I know you've seen exactly what I've seen. Pete Alonso, a walk-off two-run home run in the bottom of the 10th off the facing of the second deck. So the Mets take three of four from the Cardinals. So suddenly I'm feeling better about the Mets than I did uh, earlier in the show about 25 minutes ago. But as to ride in the high. (laughs) But as we sign off, I know, Brett, you do a podcast as well. So I want to give you the opportunity to plug that. Oh, I appreciate you. That's awesome. So I have a. I, I have an all sports podcast as well. It's called totally goaded. Um, it's, it, it's interview based, try to get a guest on every week. Uh, I, I haven't uploaded in two weeks, but I, I'm trying to get a guest on every week where, you know, the, the show centered around the individual. I just ask questions. The other person talks. The whole point of it is that, you know, that we, we want to get as many different perspectives on the current world of sports and past history as possible. So, so if you guys like that, uh, check it out. I, I've done episodes with Sports Illustrated writers, did it with my colleague, John Shipley, who covers the Jacksonville Jaguars, who's absolutely incredible. Um, done it with base, baseball author KP Wee and, you know, a, and my friends who do a podcast, Eastside Hockey, uh, Al Melk, Justin Kennedy. I mean, there's a few episodes on there. Definitely going to want to check it out. Spotify. Uh, I think it's Amazon. Po- it's Google Podcasts. Uh, Spotify. Some of the early early ones are on youtube like the vintage but that was before it really had an identity so if you want to go there for some laughs you know feel free but um yeah i mean i mean it's kind of similar to sports speak live so 
I appreciate you letting me uh, shout out, Eddie. I appreciate that. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> that no wasn't problem. prepared. But yeah, that'll just about wrap things up. Uh, Brett, obviously appreciate having him on. You can hear both of us in the WRSU crew as well and probably hear from us again in about 11 months when I try to get revenge in the uh, WRSU Targum basketball game. Oh, we'll be two now. We'll be uh, two now. Well, who knows? Maybe I'll be on Team RSU next time. I, I, was, I was as shocked as anyone else I was on Team Targum, but you know what? I'm going to yeah. give you that Ellis Gordon NIL deal. Yeah. You'll be here. Oh, yeah. We'll, <laughs> we'll see how it all shakes out. A uh, reminder to follow the show on Twitter at Sportsbeat Live. That's where we do our NASCAR pick them as well. Uh, I, I've got a solid lead right now. Kyle Bush got me 53 points last week at Kansas. So uh, we're not doing one for the all-star race, but next week we'll be back at Charlotte with the pick them. So you can follow along there. But for Brett Hahn, I'm Eddie Kalegi. Tim, don't forget your name. Oh, I'm, t- I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> He's Tim Moore. That's Brett Hahn. And that's it for Sports Speak. Have a great rest of your week.